What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and thank you so much for being here. Apple tells us pretty much everything like Google and Facebook. They know everything. Apple tells me that about 80% of you listening here of our 5,000 or so listeners are subscribed to the show. So thank you so much for subscribing. And we're just honored to be a part of you, whether it's your weekly commute or your exercise or whatever it may be. Thank you so much for including my show and all of us along for the ride. For the other 20% of you, please click that subscribe. Please share it with other physicians. We're here to help you understand personal finance. And I know that we are going to provide a ton of value to you absolutely for free. So please click subscribe. Join our community, which you're going to find that this episode, we're interviewing Ketley from YNAB, was actually a Facebook Live that we did inside of our community, which you can join at financialresidency.com slash community. Now, before we get in the show, here's a quick message from our sponsor today, and that is Resolve, which is a physician contract review company. At Resolve, they believe that knowledge is power for physicians, and that power gives you control over your financial future. Resolve believes that by mining and analyzing and synthesizing data, they can provide you with the information and insight that empowers you to diagnose the health of your career, fully understand your worth, and maximize your full potential. As a company founded by a doctor for doctors, Resolve's focus is on the well-being of those whose purpose in life is to take care of the well-being of others. To have this amazing company review your employment contract, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash resolve. R-E-S-O-L-V-E. The link is also in the description of the show that you're listening to me right now. Now, if you've listened to the show at any point in time, you've probably heard me mention YNAB or You Need a Budget. It is something that Casey, my partner, who's obviously on our Friday shows all the time, and I at our The Only Financial Planning Practice Physician Wall Services, we use this with all of our clients. It is something that I use personally, Casey uses personally. I use it for our Physician Wall Services business to project cash flow. I use it in financial residency to track our expenses that are going out in order to run the show and the blog and everything else that we're doing with the financial residency brand. And I think it is an amazing software. I review it all the time because I think it is just honestly a, a killer software. So I am excited to introduce all of you to Kelly, who will tell you in the beginning, she's married to a physician. She will be in our community hanging out. So you can tag her with any YNAB specific questions if you have issues. She's one of the teachers there. So without further ado, let's jump in and get to know Kelly and a little bit more about You Need a Budget and obviously about the dreaded we word budgeting and why it's so important for all of you to actually have a budget. After that, we're going to have our curbside console, which is one of our listener questions that you can always call in and I will make sure that I'm going to try to answer that on air. We have another financial malpractice segment, which is becoming one of my favorite segments. And then, of course, we're going to end it out with a little bit about what's going on in our community and that ever important disclaimer. So without further ado, let's jump in and hang out with Kelly. Kelly, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do at YNAB so everyone kind of understands a little bit about that. And then I think we need to transition to why we think budgeting is so critical. Sure. Yeah. So I am a teacher for YNAB and that stands for you need a budget. But if you are short on time, we just say YNAB. I teach free 20 minute live workshops all the time about everything from how to set up your budget, how to use your budget to get out of debt, reach your savings goals. 
I also just so happen to be married to a physician. I was super excited to hear about talking with you, Ryan, because I just so rarely get to talk to people that are in anywhere near similar financial situation that I might be in or can relate to the whole journey that we've been on. My husband, Chris, is in his first year as an attending. We live in northern Wisconsin. We've been using YNAB for about five years. We found YNAB during Chris's last year of med school. He had 19 residency interviews. And I was so stressed about being able to pay for them. I was worried about going into credit card debt. And once we got the budget set up, I started to feel a lot more in control and confident about what we could choose to do with our money, even though we had less than ever before. Our budget gave us this comfort that we could make it from graduation to like his first paycheck, which was months and months later. It also helped us figure out what we could afford to pay for rent when we were first starting residency. It helped us get a new car when his didn't start for like the fifth time after a 24 hour shift. Perfect time. And it's 24 hours in Northern Minnesota is negative 30 degrees outside. So of course it doesn't start then and you're cold. It also helped us prioritize things that we never thought we could afford like disability insurance and life insurance. But we did still have a lot of fun in residency. We didn't feel guilty about it either. I think that's important to note. We prioritized money for things like exploring breweries around Minneapolis. We went on some really awesome vacations. We started contributing to our retirement. And then finally, we got to that end of the road, the thing that you've all been waiting for. He, he signed a, for a new position. He got a signing bonus. I feel like we wasted it. You know, We felt like we were in control of that money. We still had some fun but we used it for the down payment on the house that I'm sitting in right now. We increased our lifestyle as we've made more money, as you should, you work hard, you deserve to spend your money on the things you care about. The awareness of lifestyle creep and the control we felt from having a budget helped us stay focused on our goals. And we do talk about those goals a lot, whether they're building wealth or paying off the rest of our student loans, or we've got some major home upgrades that we're hoping for this year. And like I said, it's been five years of using YNAB. I've been teaching for YNAB for the last three years, and I honestly can't imagine my life without a budget. And I don't think we need to make up other terms to describe what a budget is. Because I think once you actually have one, you think of it as your guide for your money, not something to be afraid of. Yeah, I totally agree with not trying to call it something else instead of just addressing it head on of, this is what it is. This is how it can help you. And I kind of look at it as like the budgeting piece sets you free, right? Yeah. There's a lot of mental worry and anxiety that comes from money just inherently. And when you don't know how money is actually being spent, then that typically fear, anxiety, worry increases. And usually when you're more in control of your money and you're actually looking at the numbers and not, I talk about it being an ostrich, right? Shoving your head in the sand and be like, I'll yes. figure it out some other day. Like I like YNAB so much that we have moved our entire firm to what you guys are doing. And I, I truly believe that right now on the market, you guys have the best software. And that's why I was really excited to bring you in, not just because you're married to a doctor and can kind of speak our language and really understand what it's like to be married to medicine, but also to get this out to everyone that it's not a scary thing, that mm -hmm. understanding what it is and how it can be beneficial is a real value add that I'm excited to dig deeper as we go through. But, you know, there's a couple of reasons why budging is so critical. And I think you've nailed a few of them. But do you guys have any stats around like 
those who stick to a budget can accomplish certain things or, or those that drop off or don't look at it more regularly? Do you have any kind of stats from a YNAB perspective? We do. So our stats come from a survey or the ones I'm going to share with you that we took just in the last couple months. So they're pretty relevant. We had 6,000 users that are already using YNAB. So this is going to be the fuzzy warm end of statistics here. But of those 6,000, 76% said that they experienced little to no financial stress. And 98% of them said that they feel more in control of their money and financial future since starting a budget. And I think that just... It just proves that budgets have a really powerful connection to our emotional and financial health. Like those things are connected. What gives us stress impacts all the other areas of our life. We also found that despite the stresses and craziness of 2020, 92% of the people that we asked said that they had enough cash available and financial confidence to adjust their spending and saving throughout the year. And again, that just shows the everyday power of using a budget. Yeah, like you said, the word budget has a bad reputation. People believe that it implies that you shouldn't spend money when in fact a budget does the exact opposite of that. It's a guide to making sure that we can spend our money on the things that matter most to us, the things that are most important. Those are our priorities. And it really does not matter how much money you make. You can easily spend more money than you make. It's very easy to do that. I can um, and, for that completely with yes. <laughs> you know, some of our clients who we have those that are just out of training and finally getting paid with their earned, to be honest. And we have clients that make a million dollars a year that are paycheck to paycheck. It's really easy to spend a bunch of money. We talk about that lifestyle inflation on the show a bunch. But yes, more money, more problems. Maybe that's not you though. Someone listening could be someone who doesn't feel like they spend more money than they make, but they just don't feel in control of the money they do spend. Or they have just uncertainty about what they actually can afford. And that is the most stressful question in the world. Can I afford this? Right? It makes us look differently at each of our lives, depending on if you're in med school, can I afford this means something completely different than if you are already beyond training. But a budget answers that question regardless of your income. And it helps us put, again, all of our financial priorities in one place. And at one glance, you can get an answer to that question and feel really confident in it. Yeah. So one of the things that we hear a lot, and Nick True's been on the show a bunch. He is our cash flow coach at Physicianal Services. I love Nick. And I know that you know Nick as well. I do. Nick is awesome. Nick is amazing. And he's always got these cool, interesting philosophies around money and just a fascinating individual. But one of the things that we hear so much, and I talked to him before I wanted to record this because he is our cash flow guy. Like Nick is the man when we're talking about our clients and what they're experiencing, and what they're doing. One of the biggest things that we hear all the time that I would really like your input on, because I know how we believe in this, is around the time investment, right? They're high income earning physicians. Some of them are not paycheck to paycheck, right? They have a good solid savings rate. They may not know how money flows in and out perfectly, but they're like, well, I hit some savings goals and I'm good. Right. And some of them really do need a lot more hands-on approach that YNAB can give them. But what is your take on the time investments to do this? 
Yeah, I really don't think a budget needs to take a lot of time. I recently looked because I was just browsing through the your iPhone will tell you how much time you spend in each app. And I spend an average of three minutes a day in YNAB. When you incorporate something into your daily routine, it just becomes like another part of your life. Every morning I wake up, I check my email, I check the weather and I check YNAB. Like it's just become something that I'm used to. Now, I'm not going to say that it doesn't take any time because YNAB is definitely not a set it and forget it system. And that's really why other forms of budgets break. You pick a whole bunch of numbers and then you, after the fact, you look to see if you met your goals and then you feel guilty if you didn't and you don't want to pursue it anymore. YNAB's not like that. Our finances are very important, right? We should be involved in them. They are not as important as other things in our life though, our families our careers, our passions, and our hobbies, those things are more important than your finances, right? But they play a really critical role, our finances do, in making sure all those other things run smoothly. And when we spend time worrying about our finances, we're stopping ourselves from being able to really focus on the other things that are truly the most important. I like to think of a budget or my budget as like a, a train on a track. I decide what direction I wanna go. I make a plan for my money. And then I simply follow that plan riding along in that train. And every once in a while adjustments need to be made. Maybe at the beginning, there's some planning, deciding where you're gonna go, right? And you don't wanna ignore where you're going for too long. Once you make that plan, you really are free to focus on those other areas of your life. And you might be surprised how many of those other areas you already took into consideration when you were making that budgeting plan. Again, when something is a priority, it deserves some of your time and attention. And once you set up that budget and make it a regular part of your life, I think you'll be surprised how little time it takes to maintain it. Yeah, I noticed you didn't say it's a train and a train wreck. It is just okay. you're on a train going forward. I know some of them are probably thinking back in their heads like, haha, mine's probably a train wreck. But, and I actually looked at mine because I have the new iPhone. I didn't even realize this existed until someone had told me like, hey, what do you doing, we were talking about a different app, my email, to be honest. And I was like, I have no idea. How do I see it? So I looked at mine. I spend nine minutes on average in YNAB, but I have a YNAB budget for physician wealth services for financial mm -hmm. residency, because it's its own entity. I have it for the doctor podcast network. So that's its own entity as well as my personal. So I have four budgets and it costs the four budgets. It takes me nine minutes a day. It's not something that I think is two minutes of budget. To, yeah, it, and it, which kind of falls in par with what you're doing, right? Three minutes mm -hmm. for, for your budget, but it didn't start that way. So maybe talk about when you got started, how long it took. And just like exercise, there's plenty in my community that know that I should be working out more because they're either friends with my wife or they just have listened long enough to know like, I need to probably get my butt in gear and lose some weight. And I haven't made it a part of my routine, but because I'm a nerd, finances are always part of my routine. And that's how I've gotten it down, I think, to nine minutes. But it didn't start that way for me either. And I think I'll let you go. And then maybe I'll talk about my kind of journey into starting You Need a Budget. But maybe tell them, what do they expect time-wise to start this? Sure. We actually have a workshop called Your Budget Routine. And we go into a lot of like tips and tricks on how to integrate 
using your budget into your daily life. I really like that workshop. But usually I think when you're first getting started, if you could sit down with your partner and you had the information that you needed, just the basic stuff, you know, what you pay a month for your mortgage, maybe some of the most common bills that you have, I don't see why you couldn't have a budget set up and working within 30 minutes. And then from that point forward, there's no reason why you shouldn't look at your budget every day. I don't think that you have to. At the very least, you want to make sure that your account balances are accurate every time you get paid. I like to make sure everything looks good on Fridays. I find that's a great way to start the weekend is to double check all my, reconcile my accounts, that kind of thing. You can get as nerdy about it as you want to, but again, there are some ways to really streamline everything. If your accounts are connected, then when transactions are cleared, they import automatically. So you don't even have to add them if you don't want to. I will argue that adding them yourself as you spend your money is a really powerful way to be aware of where your dollars are going, but it is definitely not necessary. And the other cool thing is if you want to do both, you can because ones you put in yourself and ones that import will actually match together. So you don't have to worry about duplicates, which I think is pretty cool. No offense. That sounds horrible to me <laughs> to, to adding it yourself? put in all my transactions. What about not all of them though? What about if you feel out of control in one particular area, like clothing? And so you decide I'm only going to add my clothing expenses so I can see when I spend money on clothing. It would probably be the best thing to limit what I spend because I will be like, I don't want to manually enter this. So okay, so if a form of restriction would be the, the stopgap would be adding the money. So again, you don't need to. <laughs> no, and I can't afford the, honestly, the time to go through at this point with where we're at and how much is going through with each entity. But I can understand and, and I think make the case with you that manually, if you've got a very big spending problem, there are people in our community, which is okay, that hide packages from their spouses, right? They're getting Amazon stuff. They're just saying, I don't want to deal with this. It's already an issue. We have some clients like that. That might be a case where, hey, let's manually input some of this. But if I've got the decision between let's manually input this or you will not do it at all, I'm going to choose the automatic every single time because I want you to at least get started. And I know oh, like, yeah. I started this Nick talked me off the ledge because I'm very nerdy. And I was like, well, I'm not only going to have our certain categories. We have 10 categories that we use with our clients at Physician Well Services. One of them is literally Amazon because I think it's 4% of everyone's take-home pay goes to Amazon across about 220 clients we have now. I think it's about a little over 4%, which is scary. <laughs> but I had my categories and then I had a ton underneath each category. Like I was tracking everything. And Nick's like, you're going to burn out. Like you will absolutely, you can't manage. Let's take half the categories. Let's merge some. And I think that was really helpful for me to be able to mm -hmm. go through because I wanted to, I'm weird and crazy. I wanted to literally break each thing out, but sustainability and being able to do it across multiple business segments, as well as personal. It was one of those that he knew this because he'd done this enough that he's like, you're going to burn out. Like just don't yeah. do and he was 100% correct. So it did take me some time because I technically built it twice, but it still wasn't like, oh, I'm in here for two dozen hours before I get going. It was maybe a couple hours and I had everything set up and done. And I think maybe the second month using it, maybe an hour and a half that I was like truly in it probably per week. Mm -hmm. And that was because I was still trying to figure out with this work for clients. If I was the client or the end user, mm -hmm. absolutely half an hour for one budget would be, I think, plenty. 
Yeah. So from a time perspective, I think everyone could do this and should do this. You should track this because it's, yeah, maybe you have a 30% savings rate and that's fantastic, but how are you spending the other 70% and are you spending it in a way that makes you happiest? Great. Is it moving that emotional needle enough? Probably not in 2020 where we were all in quarantine, you weren't able to travel because a lot of people's budgets like have a travel item and they're setting that goal to go on their big trip or whatever. But at least knowing that you're saving and you're less, I think we're less likely to rob from it as well. If there's some behavioral piece, it's like, hey, this is the family Hawaii trip. Oh, I want that big screen TV. I'm not going to, well, one, I wouldn't want to face the wrath of my wife, Taylor, but two, I wouldn't want to steal from our family Hawaii trip if that's what we were doing to go buy this. And I think that amount of clarity really would help. And when you're trying to decide like how specific you want to be, there are some like really simple questions you can ask yourself. Like the first one is, will separating out this expense change my spending habits? And the second one is, will it create unnecessary work? Because if adding in that complexity won't change your spending habits, like why would we need to track how much we spend on toothpaste, right? It's not going to change how much we spend on toothpaste. We're still going to buy the same amount probably. It's just creating more work. And in our opinion, simple is always better. But like you said, being specific for your savings goals is so powerful. And I don't have just a general savings category. We have an emergency fund and we consider that only for emergencies. And it takes a lot for something to be an emergency these days, but we don't just have savings. We have specific savings, whether it's for our future, for our retirement, or whether it's for a specific vacation. And, and it does, it feels different when you take money from something that has a purpose. It helps you protect that goal a lot more. Yeah. So two things. One is you said it takes a lot to be an emergency. Immediately, I thought of the conversation that we had actually inside our community. And of course, my wife chimed in and was like, wait, Ryan said COVID is an emergency. Does that mean we can remodel our kitchen? I'm like, no, no, no. Not because we're in COVID. You can use that money. Nice try. Just makes me laugh. But around the simplicity piece. So how can users of You Need a Budget really come back to, let's build this out simplistic, where it's still helpful and we're still tracking it, but maybe not going super off in the deep end like I was originally doing. How can we bring this back to, okay, look, we're going to, actually tackle this, but how can we make this simple? Because I think there's something about that, the art of simplicity and keeping things on budget and tracking versus like getting really in the weeds. Well, I mean, your budget can include every account you own, your investments, your mortgage, your debts, your loans, but it really doesn't need to when you're first getting started. I think simply adding your checkings, your savings, and your credit cards is enough. And you can link those accounts so the transactions come through. You choose what category they're going to go in. And when you're first getting started, you're not going to know how much you spend on stuff. We don't expect you to know that because you probably haven't budgeted like this before. So it's okay to guess. And I suggest you guess high, especially when it comes to food. We are really bad at guessing what we spend on food. Very, very bad at guessing. Some of, and some people have even commented in our community because on Fridays we do these financial health assessments and they mm-hmm. will comment with everything that they have. It's like, yes, I spend $325 a month in food. I was like, uh, a week or <laughs> confused here. Yeah. When we started, I put us down as $200 a month for food and we spent that on the very first grocery trip. Because like, think about all the times that you have left a store and had zero clue how much money you just spent. 
like you, you didn't look at the, or maybe you looked at the little number when it came up, but you forgot what it was. And then you got the receipt and you shoved it in your purse or the trash can and you just moved on with your life. And a budget it kind of implements, we call it the pause. It's like this time where we think about what we are about to buy and how much it's going to cost and what we have to pay for it. And then we get the choice of if we actually want the thing or if we want to, if some other priority in our life has changed for the sake of this thing that we're about to buy. Maybe you don't need to pause before you buy groceries, but that can apply to so many other parts of our life, whether it's buying a house or a car or, or whatever it is. Like it can be a big thing or a small thing, but it's the same intentional thought going into that decision. And so if you want your budget to be incredibly simple and you just think of things in terms of household expenses, life expenses, business expenses, and savings, you could simply have four categories in your budget if you wanted to. But sometimes a little more detail can be a lot more meaningful. Yeah. And I think it helps in maybe the next piece I'd like to talk on is our subconscious like spending and then bringing this kind of out into the open and being like, okay, now I'm aware of what I'm spending. And that's some of the aha moments we've seen with clients. Actually, in talking with Nick, this was the biggest thing that he has said has transformed everyone is I didn't realize what I spent there. And I didn't realize how much it was. And sometimes we're not the type of people, they will never hear it from us that says like, how dare you spend $700 in entertainment this month? I don't care. It is your money. You should care more than anyone else. Sometimes I feel like we care a little more, but you should care more about your money than anyone else in this whole world. And so the conversation we're having is, well, you told us all these really great goals were really important. But when we look at what you're saving, you're not saving anything towards them. And we've got some spending decisions and you need a budget now that we've brought this in has really given clarity of, okay, this is where all the money's going. And then the conversation becomes, well, what would move the needle more? What would make out? Do you need to spend $1,700 every month at Amazon? Like if so, it doesn't make you happy. Is it, or is it just that dopamine hit and you get to get really excited when the package comes and then you forget about it? Or would we like to move in? We've had clients, but I didn't realize we spent that much going out to eat and I still want to go out to eat. But instead of spending a thousand dollars a month, let's spend 600 a month. And now They've given themselves their own goal. And this came from them. We didn't coach them into this. This was a way that we were able to use technology plus experience and kind of guide and kind of help have that discussion. Mm -hmm. But now they took that money, like in this example, and they're putting it towards their kid's college. Yeah. Like that's super powerful stuff, right? So when you're coaching or just with people using YNAP, are you seeing the same thing where it's like, I didn't realize what I was doing to like the light bulb, the oh moment goes off and they're like, I get it. Absolutely. Every single day I hear people say that. You can't keep track of all of it in your head. We can't remember what we spent yesterday, what we bought yesterday at Walmart, let alone like what we've done over the last month, right? Or last year or whatever it is. Again, the budget is just you deciding what's most important to you we will never tell you what to spend your money on. We will never judge you for spending the money that you work so hard for on the things that are most important to you. We don't even have that you should put this much in savings and this much in spending it because this is just a tool for making sure it's going towards the things that matter most to you. And because YNAB is a zero-based budgeting system, what that means is we're only budgeting the money we already have. So when you look at your budget, those numbers represent actual dollars that you possess in your checking account. 
like you get to decide if you want to spend them on the thing that you originally planned or if you want to change your mind. It's one of the main rules of YNAB is we are allowed to roll with the punches when life happens. And when you have a budget that's flexible, it allows you to change your mind when life happens, when a crazy year happens, when the car doesn't start, whatever it is, right? And so by looking at your budget before you spend money, we call this finding the money first, you have the power to change your mind to know what you can afford and to know what other thing in your life needs to adjust for the sake of this thing that just became a bigger priority. Because that's what happens when we change our mind. It's because suddenly this thing is now more important than the other thing that I originally planned to spend those dollars on. And when you can see it before you make that decision, you feel so much more in control. And the other thing that can happen is you decide not to buy that thing because it isn't the most important. And you wouldn't have had that information before if you were just looking at your checking account balance, for example. That doesn't give you information about what your money's for. It just tells you how much you have. And you might be forgetting about summer camp or medical expenses or that fabulous vacation you wanna go on or the fact that your loans are gonna increase if and when they start needing to be paid for again. But you know, those kinds of things start happening and you start realizing like what matters most. We found that over a quarter of our users said that their number one financial goal next year is to build wealth and that their budget is their tool to manage those day-to-day -day expenses. But in an underlying way, it's also how they're planning for the future and almost subconsciously planning and building that lasting wealth in their lives. Yeah, it reminds me of something that when Nick and I were talking about our philosophies around money and this is what nerds do. And I know yes. you're probably like, yeah, I do too. Uh, but for those listening and, and watching, like this is what nerds do. We talk about like how we view money and what we think is coming up and how it impacts us or how it impacts people that we work closely with. And Nick had a fantastic kind of, I don't know what you'd want to call it, like an idea that at the end of your life, if you were given a spreadsheet of everything you spent, then it broke it out by categories. And you look at it and say, did I spend money in places that moved the needle that made me happier? And, and in looking at that, most of us would have no idea how to even do that. But let's just say that you did, right? It's not about being frugal. It's not about, oh, I saved as much money as I possibly could. And I'm dying with Scrooge McDuck money on all these gold coins. Like it doesn't Swing matter. Don't it. bring it with you, right? Yeah, I know. Which by the way, is probably super uncomfortable. I know. Uh, I know. Well, I mean, I wouldn't complain if I had a you know giant vault of gold coins. We're dating ourselves here. Some people are like Scrooge McDuck. God. <laughs> okay. But if we look at from this high view of this is where we spend money in these categories to it comes back to, well, it's not just we're doing this to save the money or to be cheap or to be frugal, right? That's immediately, that's why I call it the dreaded B word. As soon as you say the word budget, everyone runs for the hills. And it's because they've had horrible experiences in the past. We set this up and then I didn't hit it and no one likes rejection or mm -hmm. being a failure. Felt guilty. And, or feel guilty. And so they run, but that's not what this is. This is just being able to, I think, make the best possible decisions with the most amount of information. And this is allowing you in a, non-threatening, easy way. And I love the idea that I can't spend future money. It's hard to get around because as a planner, I'm like, well, I mean, I think 30 years out, I think of all the future money you're about to earn, right? You mm -hmm. guys are super young in your career. You have huge earning potential coming. 
right? So I think about that from like the investments and the planning, but from a cash flow standpoint, as humans, we're really bad at estimating some things, right? Some things yes. like how much can I get done in today? Like horrible. I have this huge list and I get through like five things, but over a 90 day or a 12 month period, we usually underestimate all the things that we can do. And I like having this kind of game plan of like, okay, here's what I have in the bank. Here's what I'm going to spend. Here's and expect to spend. Things can ebb and flow, but it's just, it is so nice to see. And, and once you get in and get it part of your routine at nine minutes a day is not a big deal. And that's for multiple yeah. budgets. So I'd yeah. like to maybe have you end us out here with just what's going on at YNAB. Maybe talk a little bit more about the software that we maybe, we didn't talk even about how you guys have goals built in and some really cool kind of features that you have. So maybe just round us out with a little bit of YNAB specific stuff that maybe they haven't heard of yet. YNAB, the software is fantastic. The method is what sets YNAB apart from other budgeting systems. We have four rules that you can follow and you can follow them with or without the software. I recommend, we have a great book, it's called Budget, that you could read to learn about the method. It's not a how-to in terms of using the software, but once you start implementing those rules, the software is a really handy way to do it, in my opinion, very convenient. It makes it so that you can set a goal for what you hope to save and then you see where you are in reaching that goal each month. So you're using your budget to look at what you actually can spend right now while still being able to plan for the future money that you plan on receiving. And so there's a balance there and definitely it's a shift in thinking. We're not just hoping that we make that money, we're planning to get it and then we're budgeting once we already have it. And again, that's that zero-based budgeting system, digital envelope system, allocation system, system with many names. They all mean the same thing. We just budget the money we have right now. Now there's other great features. The net worth report is definitely one of my favorite things. I'm super nerdy when it comes to budgeting. I've got all my accounts in there, except for my student loans or my husband's student loans, our student loans, because <laughs> since we... <laughs> doesn't work that way. Yeah, I know. Since we are not aggressively paying those off right now, I don't see a need to include them in my budget right now. It's not our focus, just bums me out. So they're not in there and that's okay. But the things that we are focusing on, I can see progress in. You can see how the car loan that you're working on is going down or the net worth of all of your retirement accounts is going up over time. You can see specifics within those reports of what your spending is going towards. And again, it all represents your the plan that you made, the money you allocated, and then how you followed that plan. Meaning with loans, just to clarify really quick is you, you have the payments in because that is a minimum payment you're making, or I guess not now with federal payments on freeze, but <laughs> the idea is like they're in there from a cash flow standpoint, but you're not tracking them from a balance standpoint. Correct. Even if you're not tracking how much you owe on the loan, you are still tracking what you send to the payment each month. Yeah. If you're sending to the payment each month, yeah. which I know which some of us are not right now. You will soon, but not probably for at least a few more months. Maybe April could be potentially June, but we'll see it by executive order, I'm sure, here in the next few weeks. Yes, I believe so as well. We do still have some new features that are going to be coming out soon, which is pretty exciting. We have this kind of new onboarding process that's going to launch soon that's going to walk 
a new user through every single step they would need to get started. We've got tons of free education resources as well from the workshops that I teach. We've got video courses that you can take. Our blog is fantastic, super readable, very, very entertaining. It covers everything from real life budgeters and how they spend their money and what their budgets look like to tips and tricks to getting started. And we're always releasing new stuff as well, which I think is super powerful because it's always changing. We're always looking for ways to improve and our team is pretty incredible. We've got people that our whole team uses YNAB and so we're very invested in making it the best thing that it can be to change lives. Yeah, like I was saying before we pushed live here was that we just actually got it as a, a gift for two of our employees that work with us so they can make sure that they're keeping track of their finances. We've had such success with it and they'd been using it, but we're paying for it now as a company perk. I love what you guys are doing, how you're doing it. And I'm really thankful that you were able to spend some time with us and you will be in our community now. We have brought you in so they can tag you if they have questions or whatever, but also like you're one of us. So being married Thanks. to a physician, anything that you want to talk about in the community you can also do so, but excited to have you part of our community and really to spread the word about why not? Because we love it. Absolutely Thank you so it. much. This was so much fun. We'll make sure we keep screaming why not from the rooftops. <laughs> Thanks so much. This was great. Take care, everyone. Hopefully this was fun and helpful. And if you have any questions, ping us, tag us in the group. All right. Well, hopefully that was informative and everything that we could have provided to you about budgeting and, you know, a little bit more about the software itself. Like I mentioned, I love You Need a Budget or YNAB, and you will hear me reference YNAB about a billion times on this show because I just think it's such a fantastic software that they've created. And it's really helping all of the physicians, honestly, in our community and the ones that we work with really handle their finances, feel more comfortable around it knowing what's coming in and out and helping them prioritize their goals. Because after all, it's the most important thing, right? We set goals that we'd like to hit and YNAB, or you need a budget, is helping you hit those goals by paying attention to your cash flow. And it doesn't take that much time. It really doesn't. So switching gears over to our curbside consult, we have a killer question. I like this question a lot. And I think there's a little bit of value I'll be able to provide to this question. So let's jump in and hear the question. Hi, my name is Travis from the Midwest. Question regarding saving up for syndication deals. We recently invested in our first syndication and would like to do more in the future. However, with minimums in the fifty dollars to $100,000 range, this is something we would need to save up for. And then, of course, wait for the right deal. Any advice on where to save for this? It seems like a lot of money to be stored in high interest savings accounts at 0.5%, but obviously needed to be liquidable and would likely use over a year or so. Or is it better to consider things such as crowdfunding or acre trader as they typically have lower minimums? Appreciate your input and everything you do. Well, that's a killer question. So a couple pieces that we, I think, need to unpack in this question. The first one is, yes, syndications have a little bit higher minimums, 50,000, 75,000, maybe even 100,000, depending on what it is. I know I've had Kathy Carroll, who's a physician and a CFA on the show several times, as well as Vina Jetty, who is a large general partner in syndicator with multifamily real estate. And I've invested with them personally. I like what they're doing. Their minimums are around 50K. You can check out Kathy Carroll, by the way, at rica.io, R-Y-C-A.io. But Yes, it takes money and you need to save that money in order to be able to turn around and invest. 
And by putting 50K in a high yield savings account, those used to be yielding 2%, maybe even a little bit higher. Now it's down to 0.5 or 0.4%. But that is just the low interest rate environment we are in right now. That will change as market cycles and interest rates and inflation, everything changes around us. But right now that is what we have. So is it better to save there or to save somewhere else? Well, I mean, it's up to you and what you'd like to do. I personally, if I'm going to save money for a specific investment, I need to park the cash and I need to add to the cash position. And then eventually I hit, let's say the target is 50K. Then I take the 50K and would go and invest it in that syndication. You could be more aggressive. You could turn around and have a taxable account and put this money into that and invest it, whether it's stocks or bonds, or whatever else you want to invest in. And when that balance hits 50K, turn around, sell it and go place the money but you're going to likely incur if you had a gain taxes as long as you're okay with that and have made the educated decision, then that's totally fine as well. To me, if I know that I'm placing money somewhere in the next 12 months, I don't really care about eking out the little bit of profit that I can on that money. I want to make sure it's safe. I'm adding to it. Then I can go deploy it in whatever riskier investment that would be because everything pretty much is riskier than being in cash itself. And I'm not one and I don't encourage any of you to go hop around to different banks trying to get the highest amount of savings because the difference between 0.4 and 0.5% in a yearly basis on 100K, I mean, it's honestly, it's not that much money. And the amount of effort that it's going to take you to research, to move money, to open accounts, to download the statements just to keep track of things. Absolutely. In my mind, I think it's silly. I don't think it's worth it. I think choose one bank, use that bank, save the money. And then if investing in a syndication is appropriate for you, then go ahead and deploy the capital. But I would not be at all worried about putting money into a high yield savings account for the specific investment as the cash builds up. The second part of your question is, is it better to invest in crowdfunding or something like AcreTrader, which they were just on the show. So I thought that was actually a really timely question as they have lower minimums. And I think this is comparing apples to oranges. And I'm not a huge fan of crowdfunding at all. Basically, with crowdfunding, you're going to go into real estate, you're going to put money, and you're going to hope that this giant fund of you know multitude of deals that they're investing in is being underwritten correctly and that you don't have anyone on the investment team that you can actually speak with. You're not building any relationships. You're essentially just tossing money into this platform and hoping that they have really strict standards and that they're going to do a great job. I would 100% much rather, and I have zero dollars in crowdfunding, I would much rather work with a syndicator, work with a general partner, go into something like multifamily investing and understand what they're doing, understand the criteria, get to know what they're doing, how they invest, their thought process. Because part of the deal is that you're investing your time to understand and kind of vet the deal, but also like who is responsible for making all the daily decisions. And that I think sometimes is even more important like when we came into COVID is do I have the general partner who I kind of view this as like there's a horse and a jockey, right? The horse is the deal itself. The jockey is the general partner who's really racing the horse. Did I pick the right jockey, right? Do I have the right person to do the job? And there's no way to vet that type of person in crowdfunding other than the firm itself, which we don't know. People come and go, investment strategies change, and we've never seen a downturn a true downturn with these crowdfunding platforms. And that scares me as well. AcreTrader, on the other hand, again, this is apples and oranges completely because you're buying real estate and you're investing in an LLC. It's a very similar structure as a syndication, but the underlying asset they're buying is not multifamily. It is going to be farmland. 
And there's inherent risks with farmlands and there's inherent benefits with farmlands. And I actually think it's a little more uncorrelated to the markets than even multifamily, but not enough to where it shakes this whole thing and says, oh, do one or the other. It all comes down to risk tolerance. And this is not specific investment advice to your exact situation. But if I was looking at these, these are two very different things. And I'm invested in both. I invest in syndications, like I've mentioned with some of the people who've been on the show that I know, like, and trust. And I think they do a fantastic job. I actually have invested with AcreTrader and like what they're doing and the strategy that they're deploying. But again, my situation is very different than yours. So is it better to invest in one or the other? Well, to be honest, I wouldn't invest in crowdfunding at all. But if syndications are your jam, great, go for that. If you know investing in farmland for further diversification is your jam, great, go with that. Or even better, look at maybe diversifying into all of the above and having a much more diverse portfolio. But when it comes back to true portfolio construction and what you're actually invested in, make sure you're not going to be then over allocated in real estate. Because typically when you look at the funds you're investing in, a lot of portfolios break out that you're going to own REITs or some specific real estate in whether it's your 401k or your IRA or your taxable account. And you don't want to own a bunch of real estate there and have exposure and then go do syndications and then go do something like AcreTrader or then go buy a single family home because now you'll be way too far tilted to real estate. So make sure you're sitting back, you're looking at your overall investment portfolio as a household, meaning take all your accounts, add it all up, figure out what you're invested in, figure out the percentages you want real estate to actually be a part of that. And then as you're kind of laying all the chips out, find out how much you should have in real estate. Is it 5%? Is it 3%? Is it 10%? You know, and just for sake of easy discussion and looking at this, if it's 10% and you have a million dollars in investable assets and real estate is 10%, then you know that your real estate holding should not be more than $100,000. So if you just went and invested 50K into a syndication and you had $30,000 that was sitting in a REIT in your 401k, let's say, which again, not investment advice, and then you went and did an investment with AcreTrader for $20,000, let's say, like that hits your 100K, it's allocated in different ways according to your risk tolerance, but also how you wanted to deploy your capital. Everyone is different. Maybe none of those work and you just want to be 100% in REITs. Totally fine. Maybe you don't want to be in REITs at all and you want to have a lot more control over your real estate investments and you buy single family homes. Again, everyone is different. These are just kind of the, some of the things that I want to think about, but I would not be stressed on, do I do one versus the other because of minimums? I would be looking at this as, can my risk tolerance handle this? Is this where I want to deploy, honestly, a significant amount of capital, 20K, 30, 50K? That's a lot of money, right? Do you really want to deploy it there? And if so, what's your plan to get into these and to make sure that it kind of is part of that overall holistic picture? So hopefully that was helpful. If any of you want to call in a question, I'd love to answer it on air. I'm a nerd. I like this stuff. So please go to financialresidency.com slash question, and I am happy to answer it on air. Moving over to our financial malpractice segment, I'm really excited to bring back on Nathan and Note Song from Thoughtful Wills. Guys, what's up? Welcome back. Thank you. We're happy to be back. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So what kind of story do you have for us today? So today we thought we'd talk a little bit about durable powers of attorney. And we don't really have like a specific. The story always sort of goes like this. Little old lady 
in her 70s or 80s, right? She's frail. She had a power of attorney drawn up and usually it's her oldest son. And then she has to go into assisted living and then either she dies or whatever. But they just suddenly discovered that the son spent all the money, right? 300,000, 350,000, 800. He spent all the money. And it's just dumb really too, because it's like, he wrote checks to himself and used it to pay off his gambling debts and stuff. It's never very subtle, but but it, it really, I think, highlights just the way that the coma documents, the durable power of attorney and the healthcare directive, they are really important documents, but they are also, they're really powerful documents, especially the power of attorney for finances, because it authorizes somebody to sort of act on your behalf and act as though they were you to take money out of your account to pay your bills. And ideally, that's the idea. Like you want your oldest son to pay your mortgage while you can't or to pay your rent or to keep your healthcare coverage active. You don't want him to be writing himself checks, but there's really no way in advance to sort of know what sort of issues you're going to need help with. So the document is sort of the durable power of attorney for estate planning purposes is always just a very broad document that sort of authorizes somebody to be your financial agent and do what needs to be done. But since we don't know what needs to be done, the language is going to be broad because otherwise it could turn out that there's something you urgently needed and the document doesn't cover that. So it's just sort of a quandary. It's something that states are grappling with, financial institutions, estate planning attorneys like us. And there's a move to have, it's called the Uniform Power of Attorney Act that's being adopted by a number of states. But fundamentally, it still never gets around this issue because it's like a human nature issue. It's like, how do you give somebody that much authority, but make sure that it's not abused? And fundamentally, the issue comes down to don't choose a bad person, right? But how do you know that too? Like, how do you know that your son isn't going to be this rotten person that's going to steal all your money? What we suggest, and we've built this into our processes, our best bet is most of our clients are married couples, right? And so you usually just choose your spouse to be your financial agent. And that person, of course, they already have run of the mill of all of your accounts. So if they were going to, no real worry about abuse there. But then we do have, when you choose the backup, for the durable power of attorney, we let you choose either to have one backup who works independently or to have two essentially co-agents that have to work in concert. And my suggestion is definitely to pick that. This is not, of course, a miracle cure because you could also have two rotten sons that could collude and steal all your money that way. There's just real no fix, but yet it lessens the risk. And it's sort of a situation of like, you need it. You need this document in place because you have to have somebody that I mean, the alternative is to have a conservator appointed for you. And that's a very time consuming and expensive process. And having the document in place saves a lot of money and time, but don't pick somebody rotten. Do you think at any point, maybe a net worth change could occur that you're like, hey, above a million, 5 million, 10 million, 50 million, like whatever that net worth is, like it's important to not have power of attorney and to actually go the conservatorship route? Or is it always better to look at it from have a power of attorney with two people? That way there's a check and balance. Does the net worth dictate that or is it a free for all still? If you had somebody that had a net worth that high, so you're not having somebody in that bracket is probably not worried about having their mortgage payments made. Maybe they're already set up for auto payment, something like that. And so maybe in that circumstance, if you wanted to just avoid the durable power of attorney altogether, you could just have a separate account set up with that person. I have $20,000 in this account. It's just like an operating account that you could use to pay miscellaneous. And I've added you to the account rather than going the durable power of attorney route. But that seems like a lot of work 
as well. I think personally, and I wish I had that problem, right? I wish I had millions of dollars. I mean, we're not all just rolling around with $50 million? No, but I think having two people that are unlikely to collude, right? So maybe two friends that are not, everybody has friends that are not really friends together. Like you're the link. That would make me feel comfortable. People that I both, that I know both care a lot about me, but they're not a couple. They're not super close friends or let's take Nathan's money and fly to Fiji. Like it's a prisoner's dilemma sort of stuff that I think that I would feel pretty comfortable with. I definitely recommend and I know Notsang does too, is like having co-agents as the backup. Again, though, everybody's facts and circumstances are different. If you don't have a huge roster of people, or if you're like, I know this person would give me a kidney, right? Like they are not going to screw me over. It's like every rule has exceptions. So, And there's other pitfalls, I think, that families fall into when you have kids and you generally get along with them. Parents don't want to show favoritism. Um, for whatever reason, you pick your eldest child out of a sense of duty, even though your youngest probably is more responsible or likely better able to manage those financial decisions. False, false, false. <laughs> well, no song's the youngest, I'm the oldest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely should. Anywho. Very good point, though. It's like, don't just sort of default to those things. Although... My parents did, and they named us an order for their durable power attorney and healthcare directive because they didn't want to hurt our feelings. But as it's playing out, my middle sister is the the finance major finance gal, and my other sister and I are just like, yep, yep, we agree. So there's that. And then also one other consideration, it's not a deal breaker, but considering proximity, if you have a child that lives across the world, it might make it more difficult than working with a child that's in town. We had a client that had to deal with that. And do you name your daughter? Which one? There's two daughters. What do you do? And it ended up that they named their one of their daughters as the primary agent for a durable power attorney who lived six hours away. And then their other daughter they named as the healthcare agent, primary healthcare agent who lived in town. And that makes sense. It seems like financial matters, you can probably deal with more virtually than you can healthcare directive issues. But the other thing that I always want to emphasize is estate planning issues are not a one and done situation. You don't just create it once in your life and then that's it. You have to go into it prepared to amend your powers of attorney as needed because your wonderful, angelic, anointed child, as Nathan Point, turned rotten. And we've had a number of families that have reported that, you know, their their kids have fallen to meth addiction or something and we strongly urge them to amend their powers of attorney and their trustees. So you have to be prepared to amend your powers of attorney as needed. And then my biggest just practical, I think, suggestion is to consider your own financial and health values. And I bring in the health just because I'm thinking of both coma documents. But for both of them, is your agent going to be able to honor your wishes? Will they be able to continue giving gifts to organizations that you believe in or that you regularly give to? Will they honor your donation wishes for organs? All of that kind of guidance spares your family the emotional angst of having to guess at your wishes when they're already so distressed because of you being incapacitated. So, I mean, it just comes down to really, and I just laugh when I see online will-making services. I know Nathan doesn't look at them, but I do. And it just makes me laugh when there's, you can make these decisions in 10 minutes. No, 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 no. Take longer than 10 minutes. Choose wisely. Think long and hard about who you want to pick as your primary agent or joint agents because your life is literally in their hands. You're out. You're out of the game. 
I think that was really well said. You guys had some really good points. And while I think the entire piece could be a potential financial malpractice that we see across the board with just different agents have gone bad, if you will, whether they're the oldest kid or the youngest, that's up for debate. I'll let you guys duke it out later. But thank you so much for coming back on and helping us walk through this financial malpractice piece. And if any of you out there do not have your state planning in order, please get it done. And you can reach out to Nathan and Notesong at financialresidency.com slash TW. All right, as I transition around to our community update, I really do like those financial malpractice segments. Those are super fun. And I've already recorded quite a bit actually for this year. So it's here to stay. I'm just having a blast getting to talk to multiple people or even we've got some of our own coming out that are talking about financial planning or taxes. So stay tuned for that. But in terms of our community update, most of you do not know, but I have a daily podcast that I put out that is usually one to two minute tips and I call it Physician Finance Minute. Some of you have found it because it's been downloaded like 6,000 times already this month. But those of you that don't know about it or haven't heard it, I'm putting this at the end of the episode because if you've made it this far, one, you're a fantastic individual, but two, you actually really care about what's happening in our community and you're really trying to better yourselves and you're trying to absorb all this awesome information. And I want to make it a lot easier for some of you, maybe that aren't super nerds into finance or really interested in listening to a 40 minute show on finance, be able to get some quick tips and to kind of just stay top of mind, if you will, with your personal finances. And who knows, there's tips for anyone and everyone. It's not just residents or fellows or new attendings. There's something there for everyone. So Physician Finance Minute, it's in any podcast player that you're listening to me in right now. It's everywhere. And I think you all will get a ton of benefit from it. And they're literally one or two minutes long. So it's kind of hard to ignore that it's just not a lot of time that you'd have to put into it and it'll keep things top of mind. So I loved doing this show. I think we had some really great stuff going on and I absolutely love the software YNAB or You Need a Budget. And I'm really happy we were able to bring Kelly on to talk about that. But before we end, I want to give you the link to our sponsor again. So if you need help reviewing your employment contract before you sign, please reach out to a company with great online reviews and a reputation for doing that and honestly, a whole lot more. So you can find Resolve by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash Resolve, that's R-E-S-O-L-V-E, to get the review process started today. And of course, their link will be in the description of the show that you're hearing right now. So without further ado, I want to bring on the little man himself. You know, this is how he gets money in his Roth IRA. But bringing on my son to tell you about the important disclaimer of why you shouldn't be listening and taking advice from me on the show, because honestly, I don't know anything about you. And it's important to reach out to someone who does. So take it away, Wyatt, and give him the disclaimer. All right, everyone, have a great rest of your week. And we will see you on Friday for another financial health assessment. Take care. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.